we're in the season now where anxiety starts to set in, and I think a lot of it has to do not only with some of the things we've already talked about. We've talked about, uh, you know, our thoughts, our habits. We've talked about relationships, and certainly those have played a, a, a role in the disruption of our habits and the relationships that we have to try to make better for a temporary season <laughs> during Christmas and Thanksgiving, and we've talked about the anxiety, but we haven't talked about this last one, which is when finances make you anxious. Maybe you weren't expecting, we've been talking basically the whole service about giving and finances, and, and so I think this is perfect. I didn't plan that out, by the way, up until like yesterday. I was like, wow, there's going to be talk about a lot of giving today uh, in church, um, and a lot of financial uh, discussions. I do want you to know that uh, Jesus himself talked about money more than he actually talked about even heaven and hell. And so I think as we walk through the Bible, as we've walked through Philippians, because that's what we're in is Philippians chapter 4, as we walk through God's word, we, we can't escape some of the topics that make us anxious, including money. And so we're going to see what Paul has to say because he's the one who wrote Philippians. Um, and in, in chapter 4, our key verse, as we talk about this anxious for nothing, we got that from Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, which says, um, be anxious, don't be anxious about anything, but by everything through prayer and supp supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. All right, so he's saying, don't be anxious. If you even go back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we have free Bibles at the welcome table, or you can just download the Bible on your phone. But if you go all the way back to verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4, um, it says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will. Wait, wrong verse. <laughs> don't ever just pick up a Bible and start reading right there. Anyways, I have it memorized. He says, he says to stand firm. He starts out in the first verse. He says, stand firm, therefore. After all the things that he said in chapters 1 through 3, now in the first verse he says, stand firm. And then he goes into talking about this issue that we talked about last week with Euodia and Syntyche and their relational issue. And he goes to talk about anxiety and then He's getting to the part about fixing your thoughts and rumination, and then he finally gets to this place of finances, and what I believe the chapter of uh, four of Philippians is all about is not necessarily anxiety, it's more about how to be a, a stable Christian. If you want to learn how to stand on solid ground instead of wavy ground and unstable ground, as he says to stand firm... He's saying, after all that I've said to you, I'm going to give you some practical stuff so that you can be stable, be a stable Christian instead of being tossed to and fro about with all the anxieties of the world. And that includes what we're going to talk about today. We'll be in verses 11 through 13 talking about finances. And I know finances makes you anxious because it makes me a little bit anxious. And as we think about the state of our economy... I stole this slide from our executive finance pastor, Dean, uh, about the consumer price index of the increases that's happened recently with all the things 
that we have to purchase on a daily or a weekly basis, the things that we have to think about, the, the price increases in medical care, in rent, in new vehicles, in food. Everybody knows you go out to eat and all of a sudden, like, whoa, like a salad at Chipotle cost me $16 now. What happened? You know, and I still do it for some weird reason. When I could make a salad at home for $2 or less, I still go to Chipotle, probably because their food's still, still good. And they didn't pay me for this promotion, by the way. Um, but I do a lot of mentoring at Chipotle. You know, it's one of my favorite places to go. But it costs so much money. You know, everybody's noticed the rise in food prices, transportation, airline fare. I mean, I've looked for, I wanted to go on vacation and stuff, and this year we just decided to do a road trip because I was like, man, I don't know I'm gonna be, if I'm going to be flying anywhere anytime soon. I, I remember back in the day, you know, being able to get tickets for under $100 to places, and I don't think that that's ever going to be possible anymore, at least in this season, and then talking about fuel and oil, it's enough to make you not just anxious, but probably angry, right? Because they're talking about this all over the news all the time, right? And, and this doesn't even include our 401ks that are down 25%, and I'm not even going to bring up, you know, the housing market, because I know I have a lot of beloved realtors in here, and what they would say, and I believe them, is this, and this is how I want to conclude, is that there are ups and downs to finances and to highs and lows of the economy. This has been happening, you know, since, since the beginning of time, really. But if we look back even 2,000 years ago, we can see there were high points and low points. And there are seasons. And yeah, the world seems to be getting worse. And I will agree with that. And I will say amen. But the, the world has always been evil and broken and been getting worse from the time of, you know, the first sin entered the world all the way till now. So we shouldn't be surprised by these things. And when Paul gets to this part in Philippians chapter 4, talking about the different seasons of the ups and the downs, you know, we hope that, that one day this is going to regulate itself, right? And the economy will go back and, and, and we'll look back at this like, wow, that, that was... That was terrible, but we'll learn from this. We'll get better with money, and we'll, we'll start saving, and we'll look at money differently. And I think that's what Paul, I think, is challenging us as Christians, if we want to be stable, um, is to look at our financial anxiety and our lifestyles and figure out what does God want us to do. And Paul really lays out an example for us, and these are the verses we're going to look at. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Here's what he says. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it was, is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, you've all heard that last verse before. I, I think Tim Tebow made it famous, right? Philippians 4.13. I've got this as a sticker on my wall, you know, in, in a gym that's almost, almost like a guest bedroom and an office all combined in one, you know. I used to have a bench press there and that sticker. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you know. And I used to think to myself, yes, I can get a new bench press personal record 
because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I, I go ahead and I load up the bar with as much weight, you know, as I've ever done. I'm not going to tell you what that is, but, and I'm like, I got this. I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Lord, if you are for me, this bar can't be against me. And I get it, I pull it off the rack and I get down right here and I'm like, this is feeling good, Lord. You got me, this is good. And I get about right there and I'm like, oh. And then one arm gives out, sticks on my chest, nobody's around to help me, I'm about to die. And I, and I somehow wiggle out of it and I'm like, Lord, I thought you said that I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why would you let me fail? Well, I think it's because I misinterpreted the verse, and I think it's because we all sometimes misinterpret what Paul is saying there. The key word in this entire uh, set of verses here is to be content, is, is to, to be able to endure through the ups and the downs. You see, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, plenty or little. He's talking about, I have learned to roll with the punches of life when they come. The circumstances that are out of my control, I have learned to rely on the strength of Christ. And it is only through Christ that I can endure through the ups and the downs. And I must look to Christ then for how do I live practically and spiritually? How do I have more faith in Christ in the lows, and how do I honor Christ in the highs? That's really what he's talking about in these verses, and so I want to get into it. I want to break it down for you, and first, we're going to talk about the people that think that they have too little. Maybe you're in a, a low moment of life right now. Maybe you're in that moment of you, you're living on almost nothing, scraping by, paycheck to paycheck, empty stomach, and you're wondering... What does God want me to do? Maybe God's not happy with the way that I'm living. Maybe I've made some wrong, de wrong decisions and wrong choices, and he's punishing me by not giving me more money and more blessing to take care of myself. Well, this is my first point. If you have too little, God knows your need. You know, not being monetarily wealthy isn't a sign of weak faith or sin. It may be God's grace to you and me that we don't have all the money in the world. Have you ever seen what happens to a person who wins the lottery? I don't know the percentages of it, but like it seems like every time I watch one of those like, you know, true true life uh, type TV shows, investigative TV shows about people who win the lottery, they always end up spending all their money and becoming like a, dr a drug addict and then die at some point in time. Because they don't know how to handle that much money all right up front. They don't know how to handle all that temptation right up front. Maybe you and me don't know how to handle all of that right up front. Or maybe, maybe God's working on our faith and wanting us to rely on him more than we rely on worldly finances. Maybe he's trying to get our attention, saying, I've provided for you before, and I've taken care of your greatest need. Will you not trust me with your life, with your profit? You trust me with your soul to get to heaven, but you don't trust me with your stomach to be able to survive while I have you on this earth doing my work? 
Well, Paul, a couple verses later from Philippians 4.13, the whole section from 10 to 20, if you want to go read it in your Bible, I would encourage you to do. I'll tell you this, one of my favorite sounds while I'm, while I'm preaching is either babies crying or this sound. Can you guys hear that? The crinkling of paper, because it lets me know that you guys are reading your Bibles. Pastors love it when people are opening and turning the pages and reading their Bibles. Your phone, it could probably make that sound too. Um, um, but let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul kind of concludes this little encouragement that he has about contentedness. And he says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. There are two things here I see in this verse. First, we see the providence of God. Practically, he says, the God who takes care of me, I'm still alive. I'm still doing the Lord's work. I still feel blessed. I still have joy, which is another topic of the entire of the, of the book of Philippians. I still have joy. And he's saying, this contentedness and joy that I have in the ups and downs and the highs and the lows and the, the seasons of life, you can have too because he will provide for you. But here's what I also believe that he's getting at, which is even more important. The riches given to us in Christ Jesus. He's saying... You have nothing, but I've given you everything. You feel like you're poor, but you're actually rich. And I want to refer to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to use the ESV, and I want to read a couple of these things talking about the, the spiritual richness. He's not talking about physically, but spiritually rich, that being in Christ Jesus has made us. It says in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to jump around to all these different verses in Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. It says that we've been given and obtained an inheritance in verse 11. In verses 13 and 14, it talks about the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And in a prayer in a, later in verse 18, it says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance. And then in chapter 2, he says in verse 5, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. What is Paul getting at here? First and foremost, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian here today, Paul is modeling to us that we ought to realize how rich we really are. And yes, it might take some enduring through some low times in this life, some times of hunger, some times of humility. But if we look at the life that Christ lived on earth, he was the ultimate example of humility all the way to the cross. 
And he's called us to live like him. And so when God provides us these times of humility and lowness, the Bible says, count it all joy, my brothers, that we can, that we can suffer with Christ like he suffered. And that we can endure because you have an inheritance waiting for you. Oftentimes we think about money as this security thing. Like we don't even need it, but it just makes us feel good if our bank account is padded, right? You can, you can agree with that. Because that's a normal, natural human instinct, is to feel security by how much you have a nest egg waiting for you in your retirement plan, or in your investments, or in your savings account, and you call that security. But he's saying you have something stored up for you that's way more immeasurable. It is, it is a glorious inheritance. It is riches that you could never imagine and is waiting for you in heaven. And as Christians, we ought to find our security in what we have waiting for us. The security that causes us to be able to endure. How many great business men and women and leaders can endure through being frugal to get to this goal? I, I think I just saw something about Warren Buffett who is a billionaire, still lives in the house he bought in the 1980s. It's not, not, not an amazing house to look at at all. But through his frugality, he's got the security of his bank account, and so he, he can live frugal. How about applying that to our spiritual lives? We can be content and live not beyond our means, but beneath our means because we have a great inheritance and riches waiting for us because we've been saved. God took care of our... Did you know that our sin has caused this giant chasm of debt? And debt is the thing that makes us feel all poor. And God uses the same language in the Bible that we are all so poor, we have this debt that is so deep, it cannot be paid for except for God came and paid that debt for us through his son, Jesus Christ. If you are in... Jesus Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus, then you ought to be able to know how to be content in the low seasons of life. Jesus talked about this in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. This goes back to what Paul was saying about providence. God saved you and took care of your greatest spiritual debt. He's also going to take care of your physical needs as well. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to make you, you know, monetarily rich in this lifetime. Some people are gifted more than others with the gift of being able to glorify God through being able to make money and give. And a lot of people who come to this church are you know, financially healthy, and they give to the church, and we're thankful for that. They are a gift to this church, and, and quite frankly, I would say if you're an American, we're richer than most of the entire world, so that ought to give us some perspective, but God is going to take care of us. Now, he decides what type of social lifestyle we live. Sometimes we're not content with our social status, are we? We've been living this certain way for a long time, but I want to be up here with the white collars, right? The blue collars want to be the white collars. And I'm not saying that that's not possible, but sometimes we've got a question like, where does God have me in this life? And am I being 
ungrateful by constantly complaining about my job and my situation and my circumstances? Or is God, does he know better than I do? And has he put me on this path of life to be a hard worker and to glorify him in whatever lifestyle situation I'm living in right now? Jesus goes on to say, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. That's true. That's a promise. Seriously. I believe it with all my heart. If I put God first, he will provide the things that I need. Now, he gets to decide the things that I need, and I might think I need more than he thinks that I need. But God will provide for my needs, and he will cause the lifestyle in which I need to be able to do the thing that he's called me to do for the kingdom. But he says, seek the kingdom first. You look around the world and all these unbelievers, all the pagans, all the people in your neighborhood and at your workplace, they're all fighting about and arguing about and, and jealous over the same thing. Everybody's possessions, their big truck and their house and their, their vacations and their lifestyle and their clothing and their, their food lifestyle. That's what they're all doing. That's what everybody's doing. And we get sucked into that as believers. And he's saying, don't think like them. If you are a believer, seek the kingdom of God and trust him. We're not just trusting Jesus for our salvation, but we're trusting him for every part of our lives. So maybe you ask the question, well, it seems like the people that have a lot more are just more happy, right? They have more joy. They seem to not have so much anxiety like I do and stress and, and worry, but the reality is for the people that have too much, they're probably still anxious as well. You know, one of my favorite theologians, Notorious B.I.G., said, mo' money, mo' problems. Right? He said, I was, I was, I was going to sing that song for you, you know. You all remember that, right? It was like 15 years ago, P. Diddy and Notorious B.I.G., the more money we come across. The more problems we see. Ah, that was, that's why I don't sing on the worship team. But you know what I'm saying. It doesn't mean, for people that have a lot, on the outside you might think life might be easier, but it's not. There's a struggle, there's a battle going on for people that have been blessed with a lot. And that battle is pride. That battle is being too busy. That battle is, is priorities. That battle is idolatry. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 30. This is a guy named Agur. He says this, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. This guy knows through wisdom. You know, when life gets too busy and my priorities start to become about prestige and money and career, 
I start to forget about the Lord. I start to think that it was me who got myself into this situation. I start to think of myself as I am very great and the Lord, he's good too. But, but really, shouldn't I get the credit for how far I've brought myself and, and my status and how I've padded my bank account? And, and all of a sudden, what happens with people who are seeking after money as their security, as, as their, their identity. I, I've counseled so many people and, and marriage counseling and, and one thing that I've seen as it comes to, to money and work is, is that the people that are like workaholics probably have um, like the least disciplined spiritual life, you know? They're at church once, a month maybe, or, and, and then they're wondering why they're having marital issues because they're never home. And the kids aren't getting discipled because the top priority in the family has somehow turned into becoming rich, whether it's following after the American dream or being in debt or not being content or whatever it is. That's something to be anxious about. If the Lord is not my God and my top priority, but if it starts to become money. Jesus talks about this again in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I think about this with the Ten Commandments. It's so interesting. The first commandment is, you know, um, have no other gods before me, right? Love the Lord your God first and foremost. Have no other gods before me. If you go to the 10th commandment, it says, and thou shalt not covet. And coveting is looking at other people's stuff and wanting it, which is another form of idolatry. All the 10 commandments are sandwiched with idolatry and idolatry. And the coveting piece has to do with money. And Jesus is saying here, be careful when you try to get rich, when, when you follow, follow that slippery slope of life, you may become enslaved to money and God won't be your God anymore. That's scary. Paul says it like this to Timothy, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I don't really have to say much more than that. The scripture says it. I will say this, money itself is not evil. God allows us to have it. He blesses us with it, and he wants us to use it for his glory. He wants us to use it to provide for our families. He wants us to be hard workers. So I'm not saying there aren't seasons of tons of overtime and hard work and grinding, to glorify God, that's not, I'm not saying that whatsoever. But what I am saying is the desire to, when it becomes about becoming rich and a social status is dangerous. Because then that's when it starts to turn into idolatry. If we come back to this verse, Philippians 12 in the ESV, I have it like this. This is how they put it. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret 
of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You know that word, the, the, the learned, the secret, that, that word for learned actually means initiated into. It wasn't as if he learned it by, you know, some kind of, you know, roundabout way, reading a book and, you know, reading a, uh, some kind of financial guru and he's like, I'm going to share with you what, you know, so-and-so told me. He learned it through initiation. He learned it through experience. He said, I have been through all things. Mind you, while Paul writes this, he is in prison writing this letter. (laughs) And he says, I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to be brought low. I've had abounding moments. And I've learned how to abound. Here's the question I'd have for, for those of us, which was probably all of us, that have too much. Have you learned how to abound for the Lord? Instead of it becoming pride and about you and catching you off guard and and taking away your priorities, Paul is saying, I have learned how to not let it distract me. I have learned how to use it for the glory of God. I have learned how to not let money come into my heart as an, an, an idol. And I've also learned to take the low times as times of grace from the Lord for a learning experience to rely on him because sometimes when you have nothing, you realize that Christ is all you need. When Christ is all you have, you realize that he is all you need. And that's what Paul is saying the secret to life in contented it, contentment is. I've learned how to not let this get me to be an unstable person. And to get anxious and to cause it to allow me to go off into making all kinds of terrible decisions and to get me out of my disciplines and my habits. That's what Paul's saying here in these verses. There's one more thing I want to point out, though, about Philippians chapter 4 in these, that section of scripture. Is that generosity releases the grip of money on your heart, whether you have too little or whether you have too much. You see, the Philippian church... Paul praises in another letter to the 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to show it to you here, because of their generosity. 2 Corinthians 8, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now Philippi is one of the churches that Paul planted in Macedonia, and he's certainly talking about them. He says, they're being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, again the theme of Philippians which has overflowed in rich generosity. Paul is using the Philippians as an example all throughout the entire Bible of their generosity towards him and his ministry because that's really what Paul was talking about. If you go back to verse 10, he says, Thank you for considering or desiring to be generous to me in my ministry. And then he says, Not that I've been in need. I've learned to be content. But then he goes on. Thank you. Your work has done a great thing for the kingdom of God. And he uses them as an example in 2 Corinthians 8. Even though they'd been through so much, Paul's in prison. They were struggling with disunity, bad relationships, all the things that we've gone through that Paul's talked to him about in Philippians. He says, but their abundant joy overflowed in rich generosity. Even though they felt like they couldn't do it, they had to do it. They wanted to do it. They wanted to give toward Paul's ministry because they sought first the kingdom 
of God. And then Paul goes on like this, because this is the practical application of this last point about generosity. Releasing the grip of money on your heart. Not letting it become an idol. Here's what it says in in chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you, you may abound in every good work. Do it by faith. Give by faith. Everything that we do is by faith. Trusting in the Lord for providence by faith. And I want you to know that giving will not make it so that you become rich one day. This isn't a thing where we say, well, if I do this, it's like a you know, pyramid scheme. I give to it, and then I start getting back from God. That's, you know, the prosperity gospel is not what I'm talking about. God has not said that his first and foremost desire for us is to become wealthy, healthy, and happy. But he does want us to have joy, and he wants us to live by faith. And it says, I love where it says, he wants to make all grace abound to you. That's God's favor. Sometimes God's favor causes us to be in the low moments. And sometimes his favor causes us to be blessed. But in any and every circumstance, Paul has taught us how to be content in those things. And that last part of that last verse, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can endure through the tough times, the economic highs and lows, the craziness of our, 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 our world economy and system, you know, the things that are going on physically and spiritually in the world. I can go through all of this stuff as a stable Christian because Christ can make all things abound to me. His grace is on me. His strength is in me. And I can be content because I have everything I need in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer here today, I hope what you heard is that you need Jesus. You need that debt forgiven. You need your sin to be paid for so that you can join in the inheritance of being a son or a daughter of the Almighty God. And if you are a believer here today, I hope you leave here with wanting to learn how to be content and stable in all things trusting in the Lord Jesus, guarding against idolatry and looking at any and every circumstance as a possibility in a way that God is trying to help you to become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy, your kindness, your love, the riches of the inheritance that we have waiting for us, the true security of being a son or daughter with our names written in heaven. Thank you for that. Let us leave here with the strength of that. I can endure anything, Lord Jesus. We praise you. Father, I pray if there are people here that don't quite have that relationship with you, that have not trusted in your son that you provided as the sacrifice for our sins, I pray that they would have their eyes open, their hearts softened and their ears would be able to understand your love for all of us. We praise you today. We thank you so much for all that you do, the blessings we have. 
Let us use them to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.